Who am I? The riddle begins. I am your constant companion. I am your greatest helper, or heaviest burden. I will push you on, or drag you down. I am completely at your command. Half of all you do might be turned over to me, and I will do them, quickly and correctly. I am easily managed, yet you must be firm with me. Show me exactly how you want it done, and after once or twice, I will do it automatically. I am the servant of all the greats, and alas, of all failures as well. Those who are great, I have made great. Those who are failures, I have made failures. I am not a machine, though I work with the precision of one, plus the intelligence of a man. You may run me for profit or for ruin, it makes no difference to me. Take me, train me, be firm with me and I shall place the world at your feet. Be easy with me and I will destroy you. Who am I? The riddle ends. I am habit. I'm Dean Delp, and welcome to the Modernist Monastery. The ever-present Aristotle once noted that quality is not an act, but a habit. And as the inimitable Englishman Samuel Johnson further clarified, the chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. The trajectory of our lives is determined in large part by our habits. Good ones are hard to make and easy to break, while the bad ones seem just the opposite easy to form, and almost impossible to escape. But since a habit could be good, bad, or even completely neutral, the word has very little psychological baggage in the West. But there are words very adjacent to habit that suddenly begin to stir our internal sensors. They are words with more power than simple habit, but more danger as well. Here are two such terms. Ritual and tradition. The first word suddenly begins to shine with connotations of religion, spirituality, or even magic. The second balloons with the weight of history, culture, and possible political implication. While most everyone agrees about good or bad habits, when we begin to discuss good or bad rituals and traditions, lines of division and devotion begin to manifest in our minds. In general, Eastern philosophies and cultures are very defined by tradition and the accompanying rituals. Great reverence and respect is given to the ancestral forms of living that originated in the distant past, and great identity is found in it. But in the West, we are a lot more schizophrenic about those terms, with certain sections of the culture firmly entrenched in past traditions and rituals with others feeling that these things arbitrarily prevent society from progressing towards a better future. 
Indeed, if one searches for quotes of wisdom and insight from the famous thinkers of the West concerning tradition and ritual, these same lines of division appear. Half the quotes are powerful statements condemning the mindlessness of tradition and decrying the fashion in which it can prevent us from properly assimilating new information and adapting to new situations. But the other half argue just as powerfully for the meaningfulness of such things and the identity they afford to their adherents, as well as the solutions they offer to some of the problems we as humans face across time. Now, while we are obviously not insensitive to the very real dangers of hyper-traditionalism and of blind ritual, this program, Modernist Monastery, obviously comes down more favorably on the side of traditions and rituals, or at the very least seeks to demonstrate how such things have a place in the modern world and can provide real benefit to you. This is the bias of the show, and it's worth admitting that. It's also worth stating that this episode in particular will break from the traditional structure of these episodes and will include far more of a personal tone than is typical. This is one of the rare episodes I will be sharing a perspective I think is personally helpful instead of data I think is proven to be pragmatic. This is also as a preparation to next week, where we will be having a guest who will speak much more on this subject and how you can apply it personally. Still, a modern contemporary defense of tradition and ritual through reason may be needed, as very few have been forthcoming. So in this episode, I hope to do two things. One, to give a brief and general apologetics of ritual and tradition, and more importantly, two, to return to this much more neutral idea of habit and blur the line a little between habit, ritual, and tradition. This is to hopefully engender a perspective shift that I think will help you as the audience find greater meaning in your everyday life. And that is, of course, the true purpose of the show from the beginning, to present ancient traditions and a modern perspective and demonstrate how connecting the two will make your life more fulfilling. In his series of well-known children's novels, Daniel Handler, whose pen name is Lemony Snicket, remarks that just because something is traditional is no reason to do it. This is completely true. However, so is the opposite. Just because something is traditional is no reason not to do it either. And as he also remarks in one of his books, just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it isn't so. And to be fair, it can be very hard to understand. Indeed, it can be difficult to relate to even our parents, let alone our grandparents, great-grandparents, or even further back. As the novelist L.P. Hartley once put it, the past is like a foreign country. They do things differently there. But if we approach the past the same way we approach another culture today, with an attitude of curiosity and a little humility, we may discover far more than we thought. Often, we go along with things in another culture that we don't quite understand because we want to learn, because we assume that something meaningful is there that we don't yet have the context to understand. When we apply that same attitude to the peoples and traditions of our own past, we can often find ourselves enriched and surprised by what we find. The classic G.K. Chesterton said of this quote, Tradition means giving votes 
to that most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. Indeed, traditions and rituals that go with them can offer people not only a connection to their ancestors and heritage, but a sense of identity in the present. The great composer Gustav Mahler noted that tradition is not the worship of ashes, but the preservation of fire. More than connecting us to the past, traditions and rituals help to keep something precious and ancient alive and remembered today. But what is that precious thing? Well, there are a few, but first, the sense of identity we have already talked about that connects us to the past. So many of our traditions are meant to use the past as a way to bind us together in the present. Reading your children stories which were read to you as a child is a very practical and personal example. This is why cultural folktales exist at all, and while reading stories is an individual example, there are very large-scale collective ones too. The Jewish faith, for example, has many such traditions, like observing the Passover, which is absolutely done for religious intentions, but also social ones, binding individuals and families of the present to each other, but also to those of the past, and reestablishing the sense of who they are. Obviously, having an identity is something that gives people tremendous meaning in their lives, and in fact, most of us have multiple identities. Our religion, if we have one, our nationality, our profession, or even just our interests and hobbies. As an invitation, think about your own identities. Who are you? And think of how the things you do, the habits, rituals, traditions, often contribute to your felt sense of that identity, and how that fills your life with meaning. Second, all of this creates new connections in the present to those we perform the rituals and observe those traditions with. And by the way, if you don't think something like going to a sports game is a tradition, or gathering every Halloween or St. Patrick's Day to party is a ritual, think again. They are the very definition of those things. It may not be a distinctly religious ritual, but it is most assuredly a traditional gathering where a set of behaviors, ethics, and purposes are venerated and acted out. Christmas, or even non-religious holidays, are much the same, and many of the things we do during those holidays are absolutely rituals, taking the Christmas tree as an example. So, why do we continue to do these things, even if the purpose or original reason has long been lost. Another author, Donald Kingsbury, writes profoundly that, quote, Tradition is a set of solutions for which we have forgotten the problems. Throw away the solution, and you get the problem back. Sometimes that problem has mutated or disappeared, but often it is still there, just as strong as it ever was, end quote. Tradition is a set of solutions for which we have forgotten the problems. Humans are very inventive creatures, very good at problem-solving, and very creative, and we've come up with a lot of things, our rituals among them. And while it's easy to take a highly cynical approach and say that these things are created by a kind of ruling class to maintain power over a subservient and undereducated one, that's not the whole picture although I admit it is certainly part of it and has definitely happened historically. 
But more often than not, anytime that does happen, it is an authoritarian structure which commandeers the rituals that were already there. Because we also make rituals to create an outlet for our most complex feelings of love and trauma, the highest highs and lowest lows of human experience can be safely housed and understood in the context of a ritual performed together, and hopefully under the watchful gaze of people with more experience and wisdom in living than we ourselves currently possess. In his book A Place of My Own, The Education of an Amateur Builder, Michael Pollan writes, quote, People have traditionally turned to ritual to help them frame and acknowledge and ultimately even find joy in the paradoxes of being human. In fact, that so much of what we desire for our happiness and need for our survival comes at a heavy cost. We kill to eat. We cut down trees to build our homes. We even exploit other people and the earth itself. Sacrifice of nature, of the interests of others, even our previous selves, appears to be an inescapable part of our condition, the unavoidable price of all our achievement. A successful ritual is one that addresses both aspects of our predicament, recalling us to the shamefulness of our deeds at the same time it celebrates what the poet Frederick Turner called the beauty we have paid for with our shame. Without the double awareness pricked by such rituals, people are liable to find themselves either plundering the earth without restraint or descending into self-loathing and misanthropy, end quote. And if the reason for a tradition or a ritual has been lost, as so often happens, what do we do? Well, perhaps before we cease to do it, rediscovering the reason and the original context in which the tradition was made might be helpful. Who knows, you might even decide you want to stop observing a tradition you currently do when you discover its historical roots. Or maybe something you never liked or understood might take on new meaning and brighten your relationship to it. But to bring this episode back to where we started, what is the difference between a habit and a ritual or a tradition. It's easy to agree that something like brushing our teeth, taking a shower, making a morning beverage of choice are a collection of habits. Still, I'm not going to talk about the various tools and methods to build or break habits, since that would be an episode all of its own. And in the West, we are very familiar with the tricks of that trade, and restating them here would do little good, I think. The difference between a habit and a ritual or a tradition is very thin, but very important. In the end, both habits and rituals are a set of routines intended to accomplish a specific outcome, whether it's health and hygiene, or gratitude, peace, and devotion. The difference, or perhaps the key difference, is that routines and habits are intended to accomplish goals we typically view as non-meaningful. There isn't usually a lot of fulfillment in teeth brushing, not a lot of meaning in taking a shower, and no sense of inner purpose in getting dressed. But we are the meaning makers. Our intent, perspective, and aim can turn any routine, any habit, into a ritual. Indeed, that is essentially what separates the two. It's what differentiates having a smoke 
from a peace pipe gathering, what divides having a cup of tea from a tea ceremony, or taking a bath from the kinds of religious cleansings of the body the ancient Hebrews and others administered prior to temple rites. As a second invitation, examine your life and look at what kind of rituals and traditions you already do. Gathering for Thanksgiving, church on a Sunday, movie nights on Fridays, or maybe something more ceremonial. If you find the list is a little small, try adding to it and finding traditions, customs, and rituals you might have access to, like community gatherings, and try to add some of those things in. Next, try and understand and learn the historical roots or maybe even spiritual underlyings that undergird that tradition or ritual. For example, St. Patrick of St. Patrick's Day. Next, take a look at your habits, the things you do every day, however trivial. In fact, perhaps especially the trivial. Maybe you're a coffee person. Maybe you really like your shoes and take great care to polish and clean them. Or perhaps your hair care is something you emphasize every day. Whatever it is, you, as a meaning maker, have the ability to transform any habit or routine into a true ritual and imbue so much more of your life with a sense of purpose and meaning. And next week, we're going to have a guest who's going to talk a lot more about how we do that. I'm Dean Delp, and this has been Religious Ritual and Positive Habit on the Modernist Monastery.